and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Senior, presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matt Penny is in the building. Penny, how's it going, man? I'm doing great. I feel my, my podcast brain has been properly rested since the last pod a, a week or two ago, and seems like in the meantime, you've survived not being catfished, which is great. And I'm ready to get back into gear here with the uh, with the hot takes machine, as we like to to call it, as we get rolling here. You mean to tell me that there are not women out there driving a 2020 Bentley who want to talk about the Lakers all day? That's a thing. There could be. The Twitter's a strange place, and when they started talking about the guy might be podcasting in Australia, I had to scroll a few times to make sure it wasn't you because we haven't technically met in person yet. So there's we haven't like ruled out that there wasn't some Australian uh, podcasting tie here across the, oh. the interwebs. Yeah, no, this is this is definitely a, <laughs> this is a real this is a deal. deep yeah. state fake yeah. right now. I just watched the QAnon documentary on HBO. I'm like ready to go and dive deep into the um, dive deep into the conspiracies, man. You know what? I watched one episode, not even the whole thing. And I said I can't do this. I can't. I, I saw like three of the interviews, and I said I can't do this for six hours. Yeah, I will say I was very concerned at the start. But it gets really good. The second episode, particularly, is when it starts to like pick up and like you start to get interest in it. And then maybe like midway through the fourth episode, and like when you get into the fifth episode, it like really picks up. The end of it is really good, and it might be worth sticking with. <laughs> I'll just fast forward and watch episodes four and five and write it off the rest of the way. You you kind of need like two and three because. The, it, like there are a couple of interviews it change it like changes what it is um from the first episode in tone to like the second and third episodes um it's it's interesting it's there's a lot going on there basically i, I don't want to give away too too much no but. there's there's always a lot going on in in that space i'll, I'll take your word for it <laughs> yes um okay by the way I, I don't know if we're gonna get to talk about this at the end of the episode but have you watched anything good recently <laughs> we're starting here let's start here it's, it's, yeah. it's funny because the you'll you'll get to it shortly how we started at the bottom and yeah now we're here uh for the the countdown list we're gonna do i actually have i've without college basketball i have watched some nba stuff but for for movies for tv shows i, I did watch the stone cold steve austin documentary which was awesome on a and e okay uh more probably pertinent is i watched wall street the mark Wahlberg. I think six-part documentary on his business ventures. I think that was on okay. HBO Max. And I watched on Sunday, Mayor of Easttown with Kate Winslet. Oh, is it good? Uh, it, it was, and it was intriguing. It's the first episode. It's hard to mess up a first episode, but I'm a huge Sunday night, Sunday scaries TV guy in that 9 to 11 window. So to have something back, I felt more complete with the basketball season over. So, yeah, Mayor of Easttown is on Laura and I's list. We just started watching, I was listening to The Watch, um, the podcast with Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald, and they were um, going on and on about Le Bureau, the um, French series that's basically yes, like Homeland yes. in France. Um, so my wife and I have started watching that, and we watched the first episode, and we thought it was really good. So I, th- I think that right? It's subtitled, yeah. I think we're yeah. going to dive into that world a little bit. Um watched the sound of metal last night okay which was very good um a lot of a lot of emotions in that movie you will you will feel a lot of that, emotions that's, that's with the drummer right yes yes i've, I've been recommended that I've, I've scrolled by it haven't gotten to it yet also uh love and monsters 
which is like this early 20s kid like traveling across uh I, I guess dystopian um enormous insect and cold-blooded creature ridden earth to get to the love of his life okay that's that's true love i guess it, it is staggeringly good for what it is <laughs> like should not work at all and actually like completely and totally works which is good yeah the, the intro i i didn't know how it would actually piece together but it sounds like somehow some way they they found a way and the love prevailed over the monsters that he had to crawl over yeah it was um i was surprised i was very surprised with it okay um today's episode we are going to talk every every year around this time i, I get into these conversations with people and this one what jogged this one was a conversation I was having with Matt Norlander at CBS, my old colleague. Um, we were talking about just certain jobs and which jobs are better than other jobs. And Penny and I, uh, I texted Penny about it. Like, Hey, like, what would you think about doing a podcast about ranking the 20 best college coaching jobs in the country in terms of like best facilities, best amenities, uh, ba- basically the place that sets you up for success most and penny goes the funniest thing i was just having a conversation about this with one of my friends about the arizona job so yes. penny you were in from the jump i was we're we're somehow connected across the oceans with uh what job falls in in which pecking order here so kind of a lot of different things to discuss before we get into the actual list here uh first and foremost what factor or what factors are you looking at when it comes to a job setting you up for success as a coach? Are you asking me directly for my factors or what I think kind of we weighed based on the list we're about to roll out? Well, let, let, let's start with the list we're about to roll out. What factors matter? So for what I did and, and we kind of exchanged and combined lists here, I, I took into account programs history, what they pay their head coach, the location, the conference affiliation, fan attendance, if multiple coaches have won there, and to some extent, job security. So it's it's this kind of imperfectly perfect system that we've we've thrown together, and I'm, I'm sure people will will think a little bit differently here and there. But that's sort of the the created weighted scale that I went on when I was putting mine together. So I think that the things that I cared about most were honestly like i care about budget almost more than anything because i think that if you have the budget you can probably just make it work and by budget i mean how much are you getting paid first and foremost because at the end of the day like we we can talk about really good jobs where guys get paid two million dollars a year like if i was a coach and texas a&m was willing to offer me four and a half million dollars a year whatever buzz williams gets paid like you're literally doing two years of work in an industry which is notoriously fickle and getting two years worth of pay for one year and like that that shit matters i think right it, yes it does matter but it, also conversely we didn't just go off of pay there was a few different no. things here we're not just reading off the the top 10 paid head coaches list absolutely which which, which 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 there is some parallels there that we can say and and work into that it's not a surprise i guess on our end that some of those schools also end up as the best jobs as well totally um i would say fan base really matters i would say what your facilities look like really matter a big thing for me also is like 
how close are you to players? Because at the end of the day, like when you're young, like playing for the hometown team is fun. Not everyone wants to do it, but enough kids want to do it to where I think that there is a real desire to do that, right? Totally. Yeah. You you grow up wanting to play for the hometown school and, and some of that stuff has changed and kids do go out of area, but it helps when you have a recruiting base that's fertile with prospects that would consider your school just because of proximity more than anything else. The other thing that I think is interesting is that kind of in the middle of this, the middle in the middle of thinking about this, I kind of noticed that I felt like there was almost a shifting paradigm here in regard to how good like there are like 50 jobs probably that you could easily make something of a case could be top 25 jobs and at the end of the day we decided to extend the list from 20 to 25 because there were just a couple programs near the bottom that we wanted to talk about um i felt like i feel like now more than ever the playing field is flatter almost in regard to where you can be successful. Like Chris Beard can go to Texas tech, get paid $3.3 million a year or whatever he was getting paid and have enough, enough resources to where he can be successful. If you get the right guy in to a lot of these programs at the high major level, I think that you, you can really have a high level of success despite the fact that these jobs aren't, necessarily like the best jobs to have and i think a big reason why that that's the case now is the influx of football money and tv money has kind of flattened the budgetary playing field um for some of these like big football leagues particularly yeah and in the south for sure and we're also seeing we just watched a, a final four in a national championship between baylor and gonzaga two very good schools very good programs but they're quick spoiler alert not in the top 10 uh and and also houston houston has has gone on this run and when you get the right coach like kelvin sampson you put it together with transfers and recruits and they fit your style and culture you can create sort of that magic now how long you can sustain that is a different story but along the lines of what you're saying i'm just stealing a line from one of my trusted ring of advisors that there's probably 35 to 40 top 25 jobs and once you get into that like sort of third elite grouping you're kind of splitting hairs between spots say 15 to 25 to 30 so if your favorite team is ranked 19th instead of 15th please like don't threaten our lives it's it's inexact as we're trying to say here no it's really splitting hairs like really 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 splitting hairs once you get from like i would say the tiers are one one through four five through maybe eight nine through 13 and then like 14 all the way down to frankly like 25 yeah yeah like there are really good high level jobs that matter and you're almost you should be successful and if you're not successful you should frankly be fired um (laughs) Right. And, and guys are. I mean, let's, let's not right. forget that. They, they do get fired. There's there's a certain expectation level in your job security. If you're at those schools, you you have to win. You have to make the Final Four, and sometimes they expect national championships or the fan base is saying you're not good enough. They don't care that you have lottery picks. Like, they want 
banners hanging. And right. I know that when we do this exercise here, the last time we did sort of a ranking was the, the best backcourts with two lead guards, and that was surfaced or, or circulated around Jared Butler and, and Davion Mitchell at, at Baylor, and they won a national championship, and we should feel great of kind of seeing that a little bit. But we were also quickly pointed out and reminded how much of idiots we were for forgetting about Devontae Graham and Frank Mason at Kansas, which I agree with. So I'm also fully embracing the heat, I'm sure, we're, we're going to receive. Yeah, this is going to be a disaster. We're going to. Eat that. <laughs> yeah. um, the mentions are turned off. Do not write to this. Yeah, do not. Please at uh, who can who can we at? Please. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah, we're not we're not going to throw out. Anything. We're not go there. We're not doxing. Yeah. Do not at us though. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so let's jump in and start with a few programs that did not make our top twenty five, but were close. So. I'm going to I'm not going to like rank these like 26, 27, 28, but I'm going to throw them into a few buckets, right? Uh to me, Virginia fits in this bucket, Baylor fits in this bucket, um West Virginia fit in this bucket, fits in this bucket. Where unbelievable coach, ex- exceptional coach, and West Virginia does have a track record of success beyond this. So they're even like a little bit above these other jobs, I think. But incredible coach what does it look like when said coach departs the program i I don't know in the case of virginia baylor and west virginia like what will west virginia look like when bob huggins leaves um virginia before tony bennett got there like we've seen what that job has looked like um since virginia has had tony bennett and since he's won a national title like money has poured into the program and i think it's moved itself up the rung we just couldn't quite get it to the point where it was a top 25 job. And like, I I think you're going to see something similar happen with Baylor, like Baylor's success over the course of the last few years, including the national championship this year, you're going to see some money thrown into that program to where it rises up the ranks. But man, like that, that's a bad job in the like grand scheme of the big 12, I feel like. And for Scott Drew to have won a title is an incredible accomplishment. Incredible story. And I, I think he was on like the podium for the national championship pointing and saying, they're going to make a movie about this. Like, we, we have to do this. Right. The Virginia one, I had Virginia up a little bit higher initially because they did win the national championship there. The They have great conference affiliation. They have a nice arena. There are those academic hurdles as well that the, the staff has to go through that some of these other schools on the list don't have to. West Virginia... You, you nailed it. I mean, they've they've had success, but it's how is, are they going to be able to bounce back post Bob Huggins? We'll probably get yelled at because John Beeline had success there as well, but you just don't know what kind of the next step is in Morgantown post Hugs' departure. Well, and West Virginia is in kind of a weird spot because West Virginia is like so geographically disconnected from the rest of the Big 12 for the most part that I honestly wonder if like kids connect west virginia with playing like big 12 basketball oftentimes um and look like i grew up in pittsburgh like i you know is an hour and a half two hours from morgantown like i the the job is not a bad job by any stretch and it's certainly a job where you can have an incredible amount of success I, i just wonder what it looks like when bob huggins leaves there and they have to adjust to consistently playing in the big 12 every year when frankly it's not like the most ideal conference fit for them and you just kind of go with a a disciple of him and and try to run that same play and defensive-minded tough kids and you sprinkle in a a top-tier recruit here and there but that's not the the foundation of how you're 
you're building a program. But it, the geographic thing is, is important there to note as well. And they like it's not like West Virginia has like a crazy number of players that it's like going to be able to be in close proximity with or anything. So a few others. LSU, I think if I was naming in 26, it probably would be LSU. LSU is very close in proximity to players, crazy resources, SEC network. Um, I would think that had Will Wade not gone through the uh, number of issues that he has gone through, he'd be up over $3 million a year, like wouldn't be a concern. Um, I think that's a really good job that the right coach not under NCAA uh, cloud of suspicion will probably be very successful at. Um, and Will <laughs> he's, Wade, still su- he's still successful. He's still getting kids. They had Tari Eason transfer in there. They're in the right. mix for guys every single season. You can sell, this is where Shaquille O'Neal went. You can sell, this is where the number one pick in the draft, Ben Simmons went. There yeah. are things that, that you can push there. And uh, we were talking beforehand, it, it's hard for me to kind of do this because when you go down to LSU and go to a football game there and then realize the basketball arena is that way and that's what a recruiting visit could look like for a kid who's trying to land, that's pretty enticing versus somewhere in the Northeast where it's snowing four inches for no reason and you're, you're hustling from building to building just trying to stay warm. Yeah, I think that what people are going to find, I think people are going to be a little bit surprised with how many SEC schools are like on the list and were considered like LSU, Auburn, Missouri is another really good job. Missouri is a little bit different because again, like a little bit geographically disconnected from the rest of the SEC. Um, But that fan base really cares about basketball at a really high level. And again, like the right coach there can be remarkably successful, I think. Plus, uh, St. Louis area has a lot of really good basketball players as well. Um, Missouri was definitely a top 30 job for me, I would say. Yeah, there were kind of that others receiving votes outside the poll. Yep. Uh, NC State, another school that has like a crazy, you know, fan base, really cares about basketball, um, just kind of fell short a little bit for me in terms of where they were ranked, if only because like it's, it's just really hard when you're up against all of those schools in the same area. And look, it's not exactly a uh, not exactly breaking news here that North Carolina and Duke are going to be very high on our list. I think that it's going to be just really, really hard for them um, to win at the level that like Duke and North Carolina do. Um, but they have like really good facilities. They have a great tradition having won a national championship. Um, they're very committed to basketball. Like uh, that's another one that was like a top 31 for me. And I was reminded, and I forgot about this, that I think between, well, let's say Memphis, that John Calipari was rumored. He was on campus at NC state and he won the job. And it's long been rumored to be a, a landing spot for a lot of other upper tier level guys. Cause they know what can get going there with the, the fan base and the support and the resources at the school. Yeah. I'll, I'll be interested if, you know, I think that Kevin Keats is actually a good coach. Um, I will be interested to see if that doesn't work over the next couple of years. Is that a landing spot for Archie Miller? Yeah, could be. I mean, you, know, you always kind of hear the chirpings, the rumblings, but have to give it a, a little bit of time, especially how the, the last marriage kind of worked out with him. Yeah. Like, I will say, like, Keats, they probably would have made the NCAA tournament last year. <laughs> Hitting the high C. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Like, would have been close. I, I, I don't know for sure that they would have made it, but they were, like, right on the bubble. Um, did make it the first year that Keats was there, but we're going into year five, and if he doesn't make the tournament next year, I think that it's, like, a pretty real uh, pretty real question. 
on whether or not they'd be particularly happy with Keats there. Yeah, it's part of being on the list. We're, we're talking about job security, the top 20. You have to to win and advance the NCAA tournament is is always going to be the, the ultimate barometer of success. Yeah. Um, okay. Any other... So you mentioned Memphis. I think Memphis is worth mentioning. Um, in the Pac-12, we only have a few Pac-12, maybe a couple Pac-12 schools. I can't remember how many we have. Uh, I will note, like, I think that Utah is actually, like, a pretty underrated job. Like, I, they pay. They really care about basketball. Um, that That's actually, like, a good job, I think. Um, I also would be remiss not to note Washington, I think. I think that's a uh, that's a really good one. Washington has a lot of talent in that area, too. It, it, it can be a good job, and the previous staff brought in Markel Fultz, so guys will go and play there. It's just uh, you got to put it all together. And they've, they've recruited fairly decent, and you have had Isaiah Stewart, you had McDaniels there as well. So it's not like they're, they're missing out on, on guys. Okay, is there anyone else you want to mention before we uh, get into – get into this i think maybe oklahoma is a sneaky pretty good job pay well decent fan base like like you mentioned earlier kind of has that football money that can be pumped back into the program uh long Kruger did a fantastic job there as, as he has building multiple programs and, and now porter Mosier, who was a very hot name and turned down some high major jobs high high major jobs or was at least mentioned in the mix and settles there so that should probably tell you something as well okay do you want to get into this list yeah, let's do it. You, okay. you have the the actual final draft, so I'll, I'll let you kind of drive here. All right. Before we do that, let's take a quick commercial break. Okay, and we're back. Our top twenty-five list. So let's let's just dive in. Let's. Start with number 25. We have Oregon at number 25. What about Oregon appeals to you? So, yeah, I think that the big thing here is Nike money. Uh, That's an enormous, enormous advantage for Oregon. Also, I will just note, like, we kind of just talked about the Pac-12 a little bit. We think Washington's an underrated job. We think Utah's an underrated job. Like, Cal's kind of a mess in terms of the athletic department. Arizona State, you know, is fine, I guess. Like, it has potential to be a good job, but I don't know that there are enough kids, you know, in Arizona, even with some of those prep academies, to where you're going to always have to go, like, kind of out of geographic area to really be successful, I feel like. Um, Stanford has the academics issue. Oregon State and Washington State are just not good jobs. Uh, Colorado is not a great job, I don't think, just because, again, proximity to kids. So... I feel like there's real room to win with Oregon, given the fact that they have the advantages due to Nike that they do. Yes, and and that's the that's the biggest separator. Why I, I think you couldn't have the top twenty five list with them at least making that appearance there in that last spot. Okay, number twenty four. We have Texas A and M. I think there's a chance we're going to get yelled at for Texas A and M. Higher. I think people are going to be like, "Why the fuck is Texas A and M on this list?" <laughs> Okay, well, well, before you say that, though, I, I, I've at least bounced ideas and, and lists off people because I knew it was coming. So I, I tried to pull in some people that I, I trust their opinions. And a couple did say Texas A&M. So I don't feel like we're completely out on our own here. 
So here's the reason why. This is like one of the absolute like cash richest athletic departments in the country. Um, it's a football school, but in a way to where football, I mean, football is going to overpower it in terms of the fan base, but not necessarily just in terms of like drastic resources only being put into football. Like Buzz Williams is making like 4 million plus at Texas a yes. <laughs> If you're making four, you're on this list somewhere. We can't not have you on the list. If you're a top 10, top 12 paying job, we're not going to have you at 35th. Right. Um, now, one thing is they're very close to kids. Like, you can go out, and if you find the right candidate, that candidate should be able to go out and recruit the shit out of Texas. Now, look, it's competitive in Texas, too. Like, you have Texas, Baylor, um, Houston, Texas Tech. Like, you're probably competing against kids from or against schools like LSU, uh, and you're competing against like Oklahoma, for instance, as well. And of course, there are all the national powers that will come in and try and steal kids from Texas. Having said that, I think the fact that you're this close to kids, you have this many, uh, this many resources in terms of money, and you have a fan base that I think genuinely does care about it in like a pretty real way, like. When they were good a few years ago, and like when Billy Kennedy like went out and recruited the like DJ Hogue, Robert Williams, like that group of guys, I feel like that really kind of like it, it was a good indication of how engaged that fan base is willing to be whenever they have a good team. Plus, like the DeAndre Jordan, yeah, yeah, right. Chris Middleton, like they have pros too. Like, there's just a lot to sell, I think, for Texas A and M. There's so much talent in Texas, and and we'll get into that with a couple other schools too but even if you miss on your first target in the big 12 there's so many other guys that are down there that you could get the 10th 12th 15th best guy in texas on any given year and he could be a contributor by year two year three in your league that's how how deep they are for those type of actual player resources and for the financial resources there are deep pockets i believe like the last big huge fundraising round they did was center around football with Johnny Manziel, and they raised like half a billion dollars. And not that people didn't blink over it, but it wasn't this astronomical thing where people were shocked either. So it shows you kind of what playing field they're working with, too. Yeah, I mean, it's just an insane playing field in terms of the amount of money that Texas A&M has. Uh, okay, the next job here is Illinois for me at number 23. And th- this was kind of a late inclusion, and I did a little bit of research, and it felt like to me when I saw some of that research that most of the time Illinois was like not included on top 20 lists um, for the best jobs in the country. And, you know, you go to, for instance, Jeff Goodman did like a coaches rank the best jobs in the league um, thing a few years ago. And Illinois was seventh in the big 10 and it was below uh, even like Purdue. And I think Purdue's a really underrated job as well, but Purdue's like in West Lafayette, and we should mention Purdue and Wisconsin as well as two schools that just missed this list that I think are pretty reasonable candidates to be on it. Um, Having said that, I think that Illinois, even though they haven't won a national title, is just kind of a sleeping giant because A, the location is ridiculous. Like if you get someone who can go recruit Chicago, like it's unbelievable. And which is tough, which is hard, which is hard to do, but yeah, really hard, like really, really hard. Yeah, Chicago, there's a lot of things to navigate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, notoriously a difficult recruiting ground to navigate. Having said that, they also have a lot of money now. Like there are reports out today that 
Illinois is trying to pay Orlando Antigua like a million dollars per year to stay as an assistant coach there. Brad Underwood is getting paid a lot of money at Illinois. Like Brad Underwood right now is making almost $4 million a year at Illinois. So, and, and, and hold on, just a pause real quick. People were a little surprised at the time. If you remember, it was like the middle of the night thing where he left Oklahoma State to go to Illinois. And then we yeah. see the contract. More people are like, yeah, okay, I get it. Right. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, left that. Like, yeah, okay, makes sense. So, like, I think that this job is, like, really, really good and, like, has gone kind of under the radar and underrated um, by others in the past. Like, I get that the Chicago recruiting scene is difficult and thus leads to like crazy unrealistic expectations just given how hard that scene is i don't know though like i just kind of think that if you get the right guy in there and i think brad underwood's doing a great job i think that that's a really really extremely high level job and won the the conference championship this year it like it's there there is proof of concept like he has done it are you able to do it year after year if assistant coaches are leaving and you you still have to find somebody to to navigate those chicago high schools and and grassroots programs and they kind of threw their hands up a little bit and and recruited outside that scope but if you're still able to pull in a a guy or two a year pulling a an io disunmu and and i know the adam miller thing didn't necessarily work out but they have been able to pull guys in from their geographic footprint too okay number 22 this is where we have alabama And you brought up an interesting point with Alabama because my point on Alabama was they have a crazy amount of football money. They have a real track record of being able to lure coaches in like Avery Johnson is a former NBA finalist head coach. They were able to bring back to college by paying him like very real amounts of money. The amount, I don't know what Nate Oates just got with his extension. I would imagine Nate Oates is well over $3 million a year now in terms of yes. uh, salary. It's just a really good job. Like The other part of this is that's interesting, I think, is, and we could have mentioned Georgia kind of in this regard too. Like I think Georgia is a really underrated job too. Georgia is not on our list just because of the total lack of track record of success over the last little while since Herrick was there. But with Alabama, the level that football is at at Alabama and the amount that football fans just care about football there <laughs> yeah they have their mm-hmm. eyes off basketball a little bit it's 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 it is and it leads they're, to like a lower staring it down right it leads to a lower pressure situation that i think is kind of like attractive for coaches to enter don't you totally is and for nate oates to be able to recruit the the way that he has and and win and when they won the the SEC championship he said we're not a football school or a basketball school or a championship school so he totally gets it it's also we're going to sound like a broken record here because this is with a lot of jobs it is a good recruiting area in the south too yep. and you do have the the alabama football stuff you can build up and now you can say okay well we also won the sz championship for basketball we we play a fun style and, and that's just for the, the actual coach but I, I think they're right there in that third tier ish of elite jobs yeah I agree. Uh, next up, this is the interesting one. And we were we went back and forth a little bit on where to put Gonzaga. So Gonzaga comes in at 21. The downside of Gonzaga is that it's in the middle of Spokane. And Spokane is like, if you've ever been there outside of the Gonzaga like campus, it's like not the best area, right? Like, I don't think recruits are beating down the door to go to Spokane. But 
crazy amount of money compared to the rest of the league. Um, and you could maybe make make a case that like once Mark Few leaves, like that won't be the case. But I still think that they're going to be the highest budgeted team in the league in the WCC once Few leaves. Really unbelievable facilities, yeah. like unbelievable, yep. um, like gym, unbelievable practice facilities. Uh, like the coaching suite up there is like unbelievable. Um, and they're at the point now in terms of like national brand and international brand to where it kind of recruits itself a little bit. Like again, it's Gonzaga, it's in the WCC. The amount of money compared to these other schools is not crazy high. Like we're not talking about Texas A&M circumstance here where Mark Few's getting paid $4 million a year, four and a half million dollars a year or whatever to coach Gonzaga. And there is a real chance that when few leaves, there's a pretty substantial drop off but i think that there's enough of a baseline in comparison to the rest of the league to where i felt more comfortable ranking gonzaga um than i did virginia because virginia's in an exceptionally difficult league um same with west virginia same with uh baylor as well yeah it, it depends on how you balance it too because we're we're saying the opposite thing a little bit of he's a guy that you could argue makes the job sort of like a bob huggins but we bumped west virginia down kind of for location but we we still kept gonzaga there and you can say the same thing for conference affiliation it's winnable every season so you're gonna be there in the top two every single year but does it do enough to prepare you when come tournament time and they, they ran to the buzzsaw that was baylor so I'm, I'm not sliding them for that it's more when mark few does leave I don't know how many of the the upper echelon guys are lining up to get that job. Yep, I agree with that. Uh, I, I don't even like. I don't know where Gonzaga is going to turn now. In yeah, terms, Tommy of, Lloyd, yeah, yeah, like Tommy Lloyd know. has yeah. the Arizona job. Like, <laughs> right, it's tough right. to leave the Arizona job for the Gonzaga job. Um, Gonzaga's next coach is now like wide open, and it's a fascinating question to me. Yeah, it is because you don't even know who necessarily the list would be if they try to go outside the box to try to pull somebody back. It'll be, and who knows how long Coach Few keeps going too. Yeah, Few's like not old. <laughs> yeah, like Mark. Mark is no, not he's that not. Old. But I, but he also <laughs> likes to do his fishing and, and hang out too. So I, I don't fault somebody who wants to not do it forever. Okay, so now we're into the Gonzaga is the one particularly that I wanted to talk about because I find that entire situation really interesting. I don't know what to make of it in terms of how great of a job it is uh, in comparison to the other jobs around the country. But um, I'm glad we kind of talked about it a little bit. Yeah, we we touched on it. it it's the I didn't want to exclude them from the list, but they're not nearly as high as I think the the big boys we're about to get into right now. Okay. So number 20 is kind of a similar deal where one coach has been synonymous with the program for such a long time that it's just kind of difficult to imagine the program without this coach. So it's Syracuse comes in at number 20. And the reason we have Syracuse a bit lower, Syracuse invests money in the program. They have crazy attendance at every basketball game. The program is almost in the same vein of Gonzaga. I think it's going to be self-sustaining in terms of the amount of money that they raise because they have won a national title. People care about basketball now that Bayheim has been there forever. Having said that, I also don't know what this program looks like without Bayheim because it's in a difficult league. 
it's not really near any sort of recruiting hotbed. Like you can say maybe that like some of these Northeastern prep schools and like you can recruit New York, but I don't necessarily know that those are, I don't think that like kids from New York city dream of going to Syracuse. You know what I mean? No, some do, but like not all national championship helps, but yeah, not all of them. Um, it's a fascinating job. Like, I think there's a case that Syracuse could be anywhere from like 13 down to like 25, to be honest. Like, I, I honestly just had a tough time imagining what this job looks like without Jim Beheim, basically. And also the, the highest attendance, average attendance in college basketball, which helps when you're playing at the, the Carrier Dome. And you can put 50,000 people in there and, and still have space, but just over 21,000 a night. Obviously, the, the numbers we're using here are, are pre-COVID. They pay Coach Beheim a lot. I don't know the next coach if it's going to still be on that level, per se. I do think some kids uh, aspire and still remember the, the Syracuse National Championship, and it seems like every three years they sneak up and have one of these runs, too, just to remind you that they're still considered among the best of the best. Location is way up there. Uh, it's not an easy drive, which which slots it down a little bit more on my list, but for an actual in that that region it's hard not to say that's a top four job i mean yeah like where would you rank this in the acc is kind of what i was trying to navigate you know yeah i mean we'd we'd be giving away some of our list i guess by doing that but yeah i'm just just scrolling up and counting where where we kind of have it three maybe like fifth yeah like fourth fifth the nc state versus syracuse one is interesting to me that's the one I was going to say. Like, NC State, people might say you're crazy for taking Syracuse over them. Yeah, and, like, honestly, like, they might be right, but I just think that the fact <laughs> yeah. that Syracuse now has the built-in fan base, has the Carrier Dome, and now has, like, the amount of money that will flow into that program, I do think that it is a slightly better job now. Yeah, I, I can see that. Okay. I guess that makes sense. So, next, one of Syracuse's main rivals uh georgetown is at number 19 and it's funny this is what kind of spurred the conversation that i had with uh matt norlander was kind of talking about patrick ewing and the job ewing has done and just in general uh how good of a job do we think georgetown is so georgetown is here in large part because it has like a large amount of what you're looking for. It's very close to very good players. Uh, the DC, Baltimore, uh, Prince George County area, like that, that's an incredible gold mine for players. Yes. Like it, it's yes. fantastic. They made documentaries um, about it. Yeah, literally. Yeah. <laughs> I think that there's also a case that it is, it's, I mean, it's very clearly one of the best jobs in the Big East, which puts you in an advantage like you have more resources there in terms of money that flows into the program um in terms of like past players that will come into the area like there's just kind of a lot to really like and they pay a crazy amount like patrick ewing is making a lot of money like i think ewing is almost near like four million dollars a year like three yeah, to four three-ish range yeah so you look at all those factors and there's just a lot there. It's also like not a great home arena from what I gather because it's like the Capital One Arena. Was it still the Capital One Arena? Uh, God, we're going to kill front knowing this. I, I haven't been down there, so I, I've 
went to Maryland that haven't gone to Georgetown for a game. Yeah, so it it is the Capital One Arena still. Um, but like that's where like the Capitals and Wizards play, and it's just like this enormous like twenty to twenty five thousand seat arena from what I gather, and that's a big arena to fill. And I guess the Georgetown is like not really filled it all that much from having talked to people. Um, so it's tricky. Like, I think that Georgetown's a really tricky one to slot. Like, again, another program where there's a case for them anywhere from, I would say, 13 down to 25. One of our 40 top 25 jobs. You have that DMV area of recruits, which every single year is going to have guys or two. You got to keep them home. You got to get them to commit there and not go outside the region to, to play for a Duke or or somewhere else. And the, the kind of downfall for me a little bit, too, is from before – you're always living in Coach Thompson's shadow a little bit of living up to those expectations. You could say that about a lot of jobs, but until someone really kind of crosses that all the way and Patrick Ewing had a great run to end the year, make the tournament, you're always going to be compared to what he was able to do there. Yeah, I I believe that that is is a big thing. I think that Georgetown has struggled a little bit as a university kind of moving beyond that. There is one thing though, that I think is interesting about Georgetown, like Georgetown, the university really insulates its coaches from scrutiny. Like that athletic department, like hides the shit out of Patrick Ewing. Like, <laughs> well, it's hard to hide when seven feet tall and a former NBA player. But yeah, I, I, I get your point. But like, they, they don't really make him publicly available when he doesn't want to be public ava- publicly available. Like, he kind of just can do what he wants, and like that's a, and like, look, he's Patrick Ewing, so like, fucking, of course he can. But <laughs> right, right, I make the rules here. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that there is something to be said for like Ewing kind of being insulated, and like some of these schools like insulating you a little bit from getting all of the bullshit that will come with being a crazy high major coach and i also want to add that john thompson III did have a, a run there for a while where they made the final four they made the sweet 16 he had 30 wins in a season followed up with 28 and then just kind of tailed off toward the end but he had a stretch of four or five straight 20 win seasons and then toward the the end there in 2016 2017 they're 14 and 18 so it, it is doable it is attainable but how long can you can you do it and there are standards there they want you to to win and go beyond just those first couple of years of sweet 16s of final fours and when you're not making the tournament and going deep into the tournament that's when your seat starts to get a little bit warmer okay number 18 tennessee so tennessee is another sec school that has a lot of resources behind it that has the specter of football kind of hanging over it uh in both a positive and a negative way like people really care about football at tennessee more than they care about basketball there's also the women's basketball program which is incredibly strong there and incredibly powerful due to pat summit's run uh throughout god i mean it was the 80s 90s and 2000s realistically um a really really good basketball intelligent fan base i think that cares about hoops and then on top of it they pay like oh yeah Rick Barnes is making a very real amount of money. Like Rick Barnes right now, um, you know, USA Today has Rick Barnes at $5 million a year. And there's a real case that like Tennessee could realistically be higher on this list, I think, than where we have them. And 18,000 fans a night. Uh, He won 31. I'm sorry. They won 31 games there a few years ago. Bruce Pearl won there. 
Rick Barnes has been good, recruited well. They have another top five recruiting class coming in next year, headlined by Kennedy Chandler and Brandon Huntley Hatfield. Geographically, I feel like Tennessee touches like 20 states. They're just smack dab in the middle where they can hop in a car or a quick plane and, and get to see all the guys they want and the money too. It's when, when you're paying your head coach that much money, uh, there's just not a scenario where we can put them outside the top 20 or 25. Well, like, here's the other thing, too. If you look throughout the years and, like, look, part of this could be, like, Rick Barnes being just really, really good at picking assistants. But, like, Rick Barnes' assistants and Tennessee's assistants get hired as head coaches. Like, Kim English just got George Mason. Desmond Oliver just got East Tennessee State. Um, Rob Lanier got George Georgia State? State, yeah. Yeah, Georgia State. I can always – I always mix up Georgia State and Georgia Southern. Southern, yeah. Um. It, there's just a lot of money there to even pay the assistants to go out and get really good assistance. So if anything, I think we might have Tennessee low kind of thinking about it, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I, I like, I, I, where do you, where is this 18? We have them at 18. Yeah. I initially had them kind of like 15, 16. This, this again, you could, if you bumped up three, uh, I wouldn't be mad at you, but I don't think I'd go lower than this based on who we've mentioned thus far. No, I think we might've fucked up a little bit. <laughs> start I'm over. Yeah. 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 Start over 25. Every, every single team we're saying resources, money, recruiting, we'll just dub over, you know, the, the team that's four spots from now and just switch it back. So we, we have Connecticut at 17 and I don't know what to do with Connecticut. To be, I'm just going to be honest with that. Like, I, I'm not entirely sure where to rank Connecticut in a list like this because a not like it's close to places like New York, and there are a bunch of academies in the Northeast like Brewster, and um, you can go out and find kids from the Northeast. I also just wonder like what this school looks like without a Hall of Fame coach. In Jim Calhoun, like I know that Kevin Ollie won a title, but like I, I think we're still learning how good of a job this is in the post Calhoun era because Kevin Ollie won a title, frankly, with Jim Calhoun's players like Shabazz Napier, Ryan Boatwright, DeAndre Daniels. Right, but the, the why I had them here, I think maybe a slot or two higher three national championships you have still the history of the ray allens the kemba walkers people still remember that you still have the the old big east nostalgia in the area in the region and it's long been the aspirational job in the northeast and and don't yell at me because we haven't said villanova yet but yukon always was on that different level with jim calhoun and then kevin ollie wins the national championship and danny hurley seems like that's gonna fit there and seems like he's kind of righted the ship but we're just going to have to give it a few years to to see if they're really able to stay in this hard spot of just below, I don't know, I'd say like the, the 15-ish range. Yeah, and Dan Hurley, I think, is up around like $3 million a year or so, too. Like, he's making a very real amount of money. The other thing is, though, that like, look, after Calhoun recruited players, right? So, like, Kevin Ollie wins a title in 2014. So, that recruiting class, like, you know... Shabazz Napier, DeAndre Daniels, uh, Niels Giffey, like all those guys depart. 2015 to this year, they've made two NCAA tournaments, missed four, and it's not like... But one of the years was Coach Hurley's first year, though, right? One of them was Hurley's first year, and Kevin Ollie struggled. Yeah, near the end, I think, yeah. But... 
So it's kind of expected. I, I think we're I think we're still learning what the Connecticut job is. Is kind of my point. Like it might be a great job, and I think we're saying, lear- fact- we're saying learning post Calhoun. Post Calhoun, I mean, we, we know what it, yeah, we know what it was, what it was with him. Yeah, like we're learning post Calhoun how good this job is. Is Jim Calhoun just like a Hall of Fame exceptional coach and lifted this job and lifted it to a point where it now has the resources that it did when Calhoun was there? Or is it just like kind of an okay job that has really high level resources? To be determined, right? Yeah, like I. It, re- it, it is clearly a top 25 job and is a good job, but like I, I'm just not sure what to make of it yet um, in that era. Uh, okay, number 16, Maryland. Maryland job is similar to Georgetown, has a crazy amount of resources uh, in terms of proximity to players. There's just like, is there a case that like per capita and like per little area, there is like almost not a better place in the country for basketball than the DMV, Baltimore, like Prince George County area. Yeah. Some New York people might fight you over that, but I would err on the side of what you're saying. Right. Like, I think that there's a case for it, at least. Number two, Maryland is in the Big Ten and will certainly pay. Like, there are no ifs, ands, and buts about about that. Like, Mark Turgeon is making three to three and a half million dollars a year, consistently can go out and get good assistance, um, and plays in a really high-level league but also a league where I think that there is still real room for improvement because the jury is out on some of the coaches there. There are a lot of strong coaches in that league. Um, You know, Juwan Howard, Brad Underwood, uh, Matt Painter, Chris Holtman, like you can go up and down the list, right? Like there are a lot of Tom Izzo. God, I would have gotten screamed at had I not mentioned Tom Izzo, (laughs) but you're getting screamed at regardless after this. So just start writing down what it's going to be about. Accurate. Um, but I think that there's still some room there for Maryland to keep getting in super high level kids and getting in like a different kind of player than what the big 10 typically gets in. Um, like Maryland ends up getting a lot of like very high level athletes and guys who are just a little bit different than what you typically see in the big 10, like potential pro players versus, um, the big 10 Indiana kid right or the big 10 iowa kid in a lot of cases so i think that there is like a very real um real room for upward mobility there and fifteen thousand fans a night as john rostein reminds us it's the spring break capital of the northeast don't know what that means i miss the old acc i hate to say it like i I know you're you're probably a, a big 10 guy through and through but when they won the national championship in the ACC with Duke and with North Carolina, I, I just always remember those matchups with, with Juan Dixon and Steve Blake leading the charge there. They pay their coach as well, recruiting we've talked about, uh, and, and they want to be good. They have the, the Under Armour connection. They're the flagship school right down the street from their headquarters. It's positioned to be successful, and that's why I, I have them probably – a little, a little higher than than most may, but I, I don't know how you don't have them in your top sixteen or eighteen. Yeah, I agree. Um, number fifteen, Florida. Do you want to you want to take the lead on Florida? Sure. Back to back national championships with Billy Donovan. Do kind of have his his shadow still cast over it, but great school and community, campus life, also a ton of in state talent in the area, and based on their national success, they've been able to go get guys in. 
New Jersey and the DMV and, and outside of just the, the state of Florida. And if they wanted to, they probably could just stay there and recruit and not have to go outside their region. They do have the, the Jordan brand connection now. When they're good and the fans show up and they're rocking, they're averaging more than 10,000 fans a night, and they pay their coach somewhere in the $3 million range. Also, just like very real recruiting base in Florida. Uh, you don't really have to worry about that. Um, real money in terms of just football. And there's also a real case that like the fan base has been energized from football and from the Billy Donovan era within basketball to where there's a lot of excitement now about Florida basketball being good while also having some of that like just football school mentality where the expectations are just a little bit lower than just what a they little, are though. just a little if they didn't win the national championship i'd say yeah totally but when you have the the two banners hanging there and the the level of a run they had in back-to-back seasons with joakim noah and al horford and brewer and green and they they were just loaded this one is interesting to me because I'm not mad if you said you would have flipped Tennessee and Florida because if yeah. for whatever reason Florida won one national championship or they didn't win either, I don't think it's really close and I'd take Tennessee over it. I think you might be right. I think we might have made a bit of a mistake not flipping those two. <laughs> we have but done this wrong. We have been incorrect. And number 14 is another SEC school, by the way. It's Arkansas. <laughs> Segway, yes. Uh, Arkansas. Arkansas's fan base and that arena is just fucking awesome. <laughs> like you can count on getting unbelievable support from the Arkansas fan base because the only like great show in town um, that those fans truly significantly care about um, basketball is like first, second and third there. Like they like football. Don't get me wrong. And the school certainly wants football to succeed, but like, for whatever reason, and it's probably Nolan Richardson, uh, you know, having won a title in the mid nineties, like forty minutes of hell. Man, they've really, really engaged that fan base, and now they're paying. Like Eric Musselman just got a new extension. I am fascinated to see what the numbers are on that extension. Like that, that is going to be a real number in, in terms of the amount of money there. Yeah, I, I think the forest range, but we'll never know nuts to bolts if that means you get six figures for doing a radio show or whatever the extra add-ins are but they've they are a basketball school and that doubled down their recommitment to to being the basketball school with the must bus and they have great atmosphere for games they have the national championship it's a it's a sneaky like really good job that you might not think of when you're first doing your top 10 but when you put pen to paper and, and start putting all the pieces together it makes a lot of sense Okay, next up, number 13 is Villanova. I didn't know what to do with Villanova. I actually had Villanova much lower on my initial list than you did. So I'm going to let you take the lead on Villanova because I had them more like around the 20 range. And I actually had Georgetown uh, slightly ahead of them. Mm, Okay, so Villanova for me. Three national championships, two since 2016. Multiple coaches have won there. I, I know it's kind of become synonymous with Jay right now. 
They have a brand new basketball facility. I think it was like $18.5 million invested in, in 2017. They can recruit that area. They can dip into Philly pretty well. Not the, the hugest arena, but they do average 11,000 fans per night, and they significantly pay their head coach, who I, I think it's in like the, the five-plus range somewhere. So USA Today actually is Jay Wright at six point one million a year. It must is, be good. A nice thing in life where I was off by one point one million. Yeah, seriously. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, you were wrong by twenty percent. Oh wait, that's one point one yeah. million. <laughs> was the house six hundred thousand? No, it was one point seven. Oh my bad. I'm sorry. Uh, only only one point one million. <laughs> yeah, close ballpark. Yeah, but even with um, five, I think he's still like a, a top four top five right. paid coach if it's six he's probably in the top three totally and jay Wright, by the way not the first head coach to win a national title at villanova either so you can do it there philadelphia is an unbelievable basketball community as well like maybe you can make that is the case why i think it probably is just about the same in terms of job as georgetown like i think that you're right and if you look at villanova villanova has multiple coaches that have had an extreme level of success there winning a title whereas georgetown has had john thompson win a title there right and jt3 have a a lower level of success but did make a final four right so yeah i think that this i think you were right to have villanova ahead of georgetown but i think it's maybe a little bit closer than what i thought like from what i gather like isn't like villanova's like facilities like aren't incredible or anything right no but they just invested some money into the upkeep i don't want to say upkeep but the what do you say the beautifying the the rebuilding redeveloping and i'm sure somebody's going to send us the the new pictures of the 19 million dollar practice facility i was just mentioning it's not it's definitely a basketball school don't get me wrong i don't think this stuff is going to be as wide and expansive as a place in texas where they have the, the physical space to do it the land to do it but they they certainly been able to make the most of what they've had. Okay, here's a question, Penny. We're at sixty three minutes. Do we want to make this a two part episode? <sighs> I, I don't know how we don't. If, if if you post this and it pops up and it says it's ninety nine minutes long, it, you, the there might be more complaints about the length of the podcast than there are about how much we messed up the list. That's a good point. Okay, Penny. We'll be back here uh, early next week, uh, probably on like Monday or Tuesday with more. Um, I appreciate you coming on. Do you have anything that you want to plug here before we get out of here? I don't. We're, I'm on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. That's, that's the plug. Okay, this has been the Game Theory Podcast. We'll be back with the top 12 coaching jobs in college basketball next week. But until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.